0: Welcome back to our web series, A Singer Tennis Career. I'm Natalie Dagnall, TSR for New Jersey. And today with us, we have Liesl Huber, who we're so excited to have on the show. Um, as you know, we're trying to interview various tennis professionals to tell you all the opportunities that tennis opens up in your life in terms of different careers and pathways that you can follow. So today, we have Liesl. Liesl, welcome to our show. Thank you for coming.
1: Thank you. I love uh, being part of the, the Eastern section, you stay Eastern and up here and you guys are just n- nearby. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we're so excited that you've moved to Eastern and we're thrilled <laughs> to have you here. And as a
0: fellow South African, I'm even more excited. <laughs> uh, let me give a little bit of background on Liesl. Um, she didn't want me to say too much. So I'm going to try and cut it down a little bit because she prefers to talk about the, the things that she gives rather than the things that she does. Um, So she's a seven-time Grand Slam champion. She has 15 WTA titles. She's a mother. She's a humanitarian. She runs a ranch. She has a health and nutrition business. And currently, she's the executive tennis director at Carrie Leeds um, for the NYGTL, which she's going to tell us about in New York City, well, in the greater New York area. (laughs)
1: Welcome, Liesl. Thank you. Thank you. So how's everything been
0: during lockdown? I know you've got little ones. It must be tough.
1: Well, you know, when people say they're roughing it, I don't think we're roughing it. Anybody who lives in Manhattan or let alone who lives in the States, we're very fortunate. You know, there's not shortages. We've not been, the only thing we've kind of um, lacking is each other's company, right? And so we're all on Zoom like you and I, but but really we have a lot to be grateful for. You know, fortunately in my career and and also in this time period, and I think, I think that um, I can find the positive in everything and so I think all of us are going to come out stronger after this um, it's going to affect a lot of us. A lot of us. This is going to be, you know, there's death in the family, there's shortage of money, but ultimately Diesel, you've
0: pressed mute by mistake for us. Oh, there we go. Got you back. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, we'll go again. I'll just cut that line. You know, no, it's a phone. You know, I'm answering phone calls while I'm here uh, on the Zoom with you. Everything, all the phone calls still come to me. So I'll pick up my phone and say, Kerry Leeds Tennis Center, how can I help you? Um, well, that just shows people how busy you are. So it's part of what they're learning. But you know, I do think if you, everybody kind of looks deeper, I think we'll, we'll come out stronger and better after this. And I have this saying, there's no substitute for experience. And this has been an experience and this has been a ride. And what are we gonna do with it? We can kind of lay down and lick our wounds or we can say, okay, tomorrow's a new day. So my encouragement to everybody, if you're gonna take anything away from here today is um, let's, get, let's get even stronger and let's do it together.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for being so positive because I do think we have these these down moments and these up moments and I think we have to to encourage one another to stay up. Uh, Lisa, let's let's dive into your story. So tell us about when you first started. tennis. When did you first pick up a racket?
1: Um, you know, I was five years old, but I'm pretty sure that's when I started lessons. My family um, are all in tennis. Um, my, my mom played at university. My dad took it up later. My mom gave us some tennis lessons. We took at the local tennis club on a Friday once a week. And, you know, pretty soon they saw that I had a little bit more ability than the others. They could show me something one time I could kind of pick it up, but really, you know, growing up in South Africa, as you know, kids need to be seen and not heard. So when the adults were done playing tennis at night and it was dark, And remember, no lights out there. That's when we got to play our tennis. But definitely, it was a love from an early age for me. Oh,
0: that's awesome. So when did you leave South Africa?
1: I left at age 15. And I say I left with a suitcase and a dream. And my dream was really to pursue my professional tennis career. Um, You know, I don't think growing up, I always thought that I wanted to be a professional tennis player. But here I was 15. And I thought, let me give it a shot. So this very nice gentleman, Dennis Van Meer who now passed away, bless his heart, um, said to me, Liesl, uh, I, I met him at the Orange Bowl. I was actually seated at the tournament and he said to me, Liesl, we'd like to give you a scholarship to come and train. But the wow. smart thing about it was they didn't give me a full scholarship, so it still cost my parents money, which made me really, really appreciate it. So I was going to train for three weeks, that led to three months, and now I'm 43, so I've been here more than half of my life. I've been in the States.
0: Wow, so you came across that young. How did it feel to, to move country to a brand new place with this dream of being a pro? I mean, it must have been quite daunting.
1: Well, you know, I was lucky. I had peers around me. I had Morion um, DeSouard, Amanda Kutzer, Yannick Cougar, Grant Stafford. These are all players that were in the top 50 in the world. So really, I saw their work ethic, and I thought, you know what? I can do it also. I just need to work that hard. But I tell you what, what people don't realize is after three months, something went wrong with me. Like, I I just felt so sad, and then I realized that it was homesickness. You know, I was really, really homesick, so I went and bought a nice comforter for myself that was mine. I got a prayer on the wall of my um, back door. I got, like, a little... Back then, we used to listen to tapes and CDs, and I got this jukebox that was mine, and then I thought, okay, this is my room, and this is my home. But it wasn't easy. You know, I say that I learned to cook, and all I could cook was eggs and cereal. So it was very rough at age 15 moving to America, but it was worth it. Lots of eggs and cereal, then. It obviously is a good diet.
0: Well, you go. We're going to talk a little bit later about your nutrition stuff. Um, so, so you started out on Twitter. Tell
1: us a little bit about your highs and your
0: lows in terms of your tennis career.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of lows when you start out. I mean, you live week to week. You don't. If you don't have parents that can afford for you to go to your first couple of tournaments. Then you're looking for maybe a friend of a friend that maybe can sponsor you. You know, growing up in South Africa at that time was pretty good time. You know, um, Tennis South Africa had money when I was a junior, but then that kind of ran out. So you had to find a way. My father worked for the South African railways, which means he got a discount on air tickets. So that helped a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents would travel with us. We would never travel with coaches. Sometimes we would have to go alone on a trip. But I tell you what, you know, one thing my parents installed in, in us is work ethic. I'm not the most talented tennis player, but I'm a very hard worker. And for that, I'm grateful. So I didn't, um, I didn't know if I was going to make it. You know, being from a third world country, you don't feel like you belong. And that's a whole different story. I uh, played a match at the French Open in 1999. My partner was Katerina Shabotnik. We played Mary Jo Fernandez and Monica Seles and it was on kind of like a a mediocre stadium court and we won that match. And that was actually, that match meant nothing to anybody. And maybe Mary Jo, who's my friend, won't even remember we played that (laughs) match. But that was the match that turned my career, that kind of turned it on for me because I realized like I belong, like I can compete with these players. But when you're young, you don't realize that all you do is you just work every day. You just work and then you kind of have that dream. Um, But, you know, I've I've been very, very lucky. I've had a lot of people along the way that supported me, that's mentored me. And um, that's why I'm who I am today. And I pay it forward because of all these people, I wouldn't be here today. And you've done a lot of um, well, doubles, has been a focus, and team,
0: because you played for the South African Fed Cup team and you've played for the US Fed Cup team. So you obviously enjoy being part of the team. Tell us why that happened or how that came about.
1: You know, I am not a selfish person at all, but I struggle on a team because tennis, we're so brought up to think of me, 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 but it's not selfish. Like if you and I were going to hit, I wouldn't say to you, Uh, Oh, I just want to do this. I'll say, hey, what do you want to do? But if you want to get ahead faster, then you've got to focus on a lot of things by yourself. So that's kind of where I struggled with tennis, that I wasn't selfish. Yet, um, in the team environment, it was about team the entire week. So kind of like an actor, I would put this face, this mask on, and I would say, whatever the coach wanted that week, I was going to do. If the coach said up at seven, I would be up at seven. And you know what, those were my most fun weeks ever, because it was truly about teams supporting each other, win or lose, the evenings playing Pictionary, playing all kinds of games, getting to know each other, friending the trainers, friending the the coaches on the team. So really that's the memories, you know, and when you look at the men, you know, the Bryan brothers, um, Sampras, Agassi, all those, uh, accomplished players that they really take that pride in playing for their country. And whether it was for South Africa or for the U S, um, in Fed cup or in Olympics, it was really special, great memories. Aura. Yeah. It's amazing that you were able to support both
0: your countries, and represent both of them as a dual citizen. I think that's great.
1: Yeah, you know, it it truly was the best decision for me ever to play for the US. You know, um, I valued South Africa, I had a lot of opportunity, but this was home for me. I had come here so young and I felt like I needed to pay it forward for the US. And the atmosphere in the amazing cities that we played against the most amazing players and coming down to a final a uh, rubber, a final tie in the doubles. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, they choose me to represent the U.S.? Was well, like crazy. I'm a girl from Durban, South Africa. So a lot of wonderful people along the way in the USTA. I'm like number one fan of the USTA. I'm also on the USTA national board now. Um, the player development program and what Martin is doing in Florida is is terrific. And I'm so excited to be a part of that. Well, let's talk a bit about that. So you moved out of a pro
0: career and you moved across into like the world of tennis business. Uh, Where do you want to start? Because you've done so much.
1: That's a great question. You know, like I told you, there is no substitute for experience. When I saw my friends retiring young, and remember, my friends were all five and six years older than me. When I, uh, Mariana Schwartz, Amanda Kutzer, and and the likes, Wayne Ferreira, when I saw them retiring young, and maybe they weren't so sure what they wanted to do after tennis, and maybe trying to find their feet. And they knew they were good at something. They knew what they were at the top of whatever they were, you know, at their professional career. And now they get thrown into this uh, into nowhere. I'm a nobody, you know, or what am I going to do? I think that the biggest thing that uh, tennis players make the mistake of is they think that that's their career. That is their their one thing. No, being professional tennis player is only a part of your career. So um, like when you're a mother, that's another part of your career. And then when you move on to something else. And so I just thought of tennis being the first part of my career. And then kind of what does it set me up to do after? It would be pretty boring If I just was a professional tennis player and had trophies, that would be pretty boring. So what can you do with your talent? So I'm fortunate, I was fortunate to see that those other players retired so young and then they didn't know what to do. So here was my idea. I'm a planner, I don't like chaos. (laughs) So I thought, okay, um, at age 32, I would be playing the US Open, I'd probably be pregnant, I'm gonna be a mother, wasn't the case. At age 32, we're winning uh, the US Open, and there were no babies in the picture. Okay, what's my next plan? Okay, my next plan was going to be, see, you always have to have a plan B. I learned that. Um, My career wasn't always that simple. You know, early on in my career, I didn't enjoy traveling and my husband being home. So he said to me, what's your plan B? Because I told him I didn't want to play anymore. I said I didn't have one. So he said, okay, keep playing, I'm gonna travel with you. So that was another thing, I learned I needed a plan B. So then I thought, okay, when I decide I've had enough or injuries kind of determine that, I will play, um, I will start a business already. I will start a business and then, or I will start, if I can't start a business, then I will start networking for after tennis. I believe you are more attractive when you're in a position in a job already looking for another job versus not having a job right and so that's kind of what happened a little bit premature in 2007 uh, we won wimbledon i saw this piece of land 10 acres decided the impulse of me developed the land and built 15 tennis courts wow not five, 15 so hubert tennis Ranch started and i just wanted it to be This community, kind of how we grew up, you know, those memories that we had, serving the community, letting people come and play. So that's where Hewitt Tennis Ranch started up. Pros and cons to that, because I learned a lot, but I had to juggle a lot. Yeah, I was a professional tennis player, yet I was managing a business. Payroll, inventory, permitting to build this place, the financial aspects of it the programming, anything that pertained to running a business I was doing outside of my tennis, which, um, you know, they say give the busy person more and they'll get it done. And so give me more and I'll get it done. But then the tough part came when we decided we wanted to start a family in 2012. It was too much for me to juggle and then my tennis kind of took a knock. Having said that, if you, anybody that's listening here, if you're thinking of switching careers, or you're thinking of doing something, stay where you are for the moment and start networking because you're going to be much more attractive to somebody when you're in the job and then you're not going to settle just for anything.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. So so you did this working and you set up the ranch and then you started with the nutrition business at that point. When did you get into your nutrition business?
1: Yeah, I, I did. Um, I started in... 2014, I started a new nutrition business. You know, the reason I did that is because people would always ask me, what do you do? What do you eat? How do you stay so fit? How do you have so much energy? And I thought, you know, I've been taking this product since 2006. It was a USANA product. It's a product that... Um, it was clean for our sport because professional tennis players, because of doping, we couldn't take anything. And I thought, let me start let, let me tell my story. I didn't just need to, because a lot of people that watch tennis or maybe that is drawn to you in some fashion, and they may not play tennis, but how can I help them? And so I had some friends that were way overweight. And, you know, the product, uh, I have, by the way, I've not been sick since 2006. It's um, yeah, it, not going um, And it, it was truly, truly more about helping somebody in their mindset than about the product. You know, take care of yourself, have a routine. Don't worry if you're having a bad day; just do better. Kind of like on the tennis court, play a bad game, doesn't matter. Just keep the bad times really short. You know, what can we control? We can't control our weight but we can kind of control what we put in our mouth and the same thing on the court, you know, um, on uh, grass courts, you want to keep your bad time very short because the points go very quick, but on clay, you can have your bad times a little bit longer. So I've learned that, you know, um, but I've enjoyed helping people in all facets didn't have to be in health and nutrition, but I just thought, why not? I'm already living a healthy lifestyle. Let me help more people with that. And then, in addition to all
0: of that, you've done a lot of humanitarian work, and
1: there's so much—it's almost
0: hard to sort of start. So, Hurricane Katrina prompted you to do some work, and you've done cancer care work. Um, you've worked uh, multiple sclerosis, like a whole—a whole lot of areas. How did you choose these various um, people to support or these um, organizations to support?
1: Well, I got lucky. You know, sometimes it's about luck—being in the right place at the right time—and. Uh, four days, I had the best day um, in two thousand and seven when uh, two thousand and five winning in Wimbledon. My parents were in the stands, and four days later, I played world team tennis and I blew out my knee and selfishly, I was thinking um, who 's going to ever remember that that I won Wimbledon but you know and you know it was kind of a joke afterwards because it didn 't really matter. you know Hurricane Katrina happened, and I saw all these folks that you know, didn't have anywhere to live, and uh, didn't have food, and didn't have jobs, and didn't have transportation, and, and they were separated from families, and they didn't know what was going on, and they didn't have homes to go back to. And I, as I'm watching this, I'm sitting on the floor, my knee is in a prehab cast. I don't know if I was icing or something, and I thought, what can I do? You know, I have money in the bank winning Wimbledon. I'm, st- I'm living in this huge house, and so I said, okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a, a foundation. But it wasn't like I'm going to start a foundation. I just said, I'm going to help these people. So I went started going to the Red Cross. I started hanging out there. And when people would walk around, I would ask them, how can I help you? They were, they didn't, I mean, there's this lady on crutches. Um, and uh, that's kind of how it started. Then I called a good friend of mine, Martina Navratilova. And I said, this is what I'm doing. And the next day, a big check arrived. And the same, yeah, and the same with Billie Jean King. So I ended up helping 21 families, but you know, it was a learning curve for me also because I had to learn the system. How do you um, not take somebody away from um, benefits, if you will, let's say if I took them um, out of the church, but I put them in accommodation that, uh, there is no transportation. That would make no sense, right? So for me, it was learning every day. Let me see what we can do, where we can find accommodation, where we can find um, furniture. Yeah, so even people like Gigi Fernandez gave me a huge Yule truck. She rallied up friends in, uh, in Florida. You know, So it's amazing, the tennis community. So all of you that are listening here, tennis is the sport. Because we make lifelong friendships, we can help people, Uh, we can give back. And I, you know, the point is just, uh, you can give back even if you don't have money. So you can, probably if you Google me, you'll see there's a clip where they cut my hair. Um, It was at Wimbledon, it was the ugliest haircut afterwards, but it didn't matter. (laughs) I donated my hair. So the point is just really, Uh, to make this a better world, to make this a better place, and for you to feel better. Because if we have a problem and I don't feel so good, if I do something for somebody, it automatically elevates me. So I'm lucky that I realized that. So here I was feeling very sorry for myself, rehabbing my knee not knowing if I was ever gonna play again, but I could help everybody. So not only was I helping them, they were really truly helping me. And I'm still in touch with some of those families from the hurricane. Some of their kids have kids now, some of them never went back, they stayed in Houston, some of them are back there.
0: That's amazing. I'm, I'm so impressed with all the work you do, Let's uh, keep, keep doing and inspires all of us. So, so, tell us what made you take the move to New York and come and work with Carrie Leeds and let us know what you do there as well.
1: So, I'm very, very lucky to be here. You know, I realized that my tennis career was coming to an end. Um, there was a country club in Houston that had equestrian and golf and uh, fishing and amazing. It's called Houston Oaks. And they invited me to design their tennis complex for them. And I lived there for a year. And I thought, this is wonderful. I got a golf golf cart. I live on the lake. I have this amazing house. I live next to royalty here. I eat in the restaurant. But really, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? So after a year, I said, thanks. It's been so great. Your tennis program is all set up. I got to do something else. At that time, I saw an ad, um, like a job ad for... Um, for the NYJTL director of development. And I thought that's right up my alley in the Bronx, poorest congressional district. Why wouldn't I do that? So I called up Skip Hartman and I said, hey, Skip, this is Liesl Huber. And he said, why the heck would you wanna move with two little kids to New York? I took offense to that. Then I went, I thought I'm gonna prove you wrong. So the next week or uh, next, next couple of weeks, uh, they had a grand opening. I said, I'm coming. I want to tour the schools. I want to see what you have. And so that's kind of the end of the story. Now it's been three years. My job is um, vast. My job is huge. I manage people, which is uh, being a learning curve, you know, being a driver. Uh, doing things a certain way I've had to learn that it's not always my way but it's how the team works so it's been great it's been hard also because um, it's not my way right it's it's how we work together and so that's been the fun thing is seeing how we've grown Uh, this tennis center is amazing we raised 28 million dollars and we built in the south bronx We have 22 courts, Um, we give 6,000 free hours, also 10 of the courts are for public play all the time. We just took down our bubble a couple days ago. Um, We are so lucky, we have programs in the parks, we have programs in the schools, we have programs at tennis center. Um, So for me, it's really serving the mission of the organization and the mission, and everything I do, it's about the mission, is helping these kids, through tennis and education, uh, reaching their best potential. So for instance, um, this year we have five kids that got scholarships to university, uh, which couldn't have done it without tennis. And so I've got goosebumps and I got goosebumps Uh because um, I, you know, I live it, I see it, I breathe it every single day. So for me, it's not a job. It is tough being in the Bronx, but... When somebody comes in and they say, oh, you're in the Bronx, then they, and they, maybe it's a company that want to partner with us or that want to give books or donate or education program or something in tennis, or maybe a donor. They say, oh, the Bronx, you're in the Bronx. And then they realize it's the most ideal location. (laughs) Yeah, so we are very lucky. We've had a WTA tournament, which it was free entry for the kids to come or for people to attend. Uh, So I am very, very fortunate that the USTA supports us also. We've had World Team Tennis there. But for me, I've been here for three years. The goal is truly to set it up. you know, I don't want to work forever. I'm not going to lie and say I want to be working forever. I would also like to, I feel like I've been working since I, you know, can remember. Uh, I don't want to work forever. I want to volunteer forever. So I don't don't want to have to be paid for this position. You know, I don't mind coming to do something like this for free. But um, so it's been amazing. Uh, The it's the most amazing experience. And I have to pinch myself that I live in Manhattan. A girl from South Africa lives in Manhattan. That's pretty cool.
0: Well, I think your whole story just proves our immigration is what we want. And like bringing amazing people like you to the United States and everything you've given back is just proof of of how good it is for us to sort of encourage people from all over the world to come here to this amazing, amazing country and, and do things like you've done. And we're so thrilled you're here in Eastern, and and so happy to have you working and doing all the amazing work you do. Uh, so, Lisa, where are those five five kids going? Which which universities are they going to? Do you know? Um,
1: yeah, we had one at SMU. We had, um, you know, because I'm a foreigner. For me, you know, I don't know a lot of schools, but some of them are Division Two schools, and that's okay. Some of them, the small Division One schools. And, um, you know, for us, an option always is the CUNY schools also. We're a big supporter yeah. of the CUNY schools. And um, this coming year, it looks like we'll have about six going. So um, we're working with them on their, SA- all of the kids on PSAT, SAT prep to get good scores. So whether you are a good tennis player or you're not, Tennis should have given us all these life skills about perseverance, about teamwork, about respect. Um, I can just go on. Uh, having confidence, and so whether you're interviewing with, for with the school or the number one player in Eastern is interviewing for the school, you're going to have the same, um, the same feel, the same uh, vibe, um, the same accolades. So, so I think tennis truly is our driver for the life skills component. And that's why I love what I get to do. It's not just a $500 tennis lesson, right? I truly get to install these life skills in the kids. Now we do it as young as age six um, and the local schools walk over there and then they, we do, and then I give them a snack. And the reason I give them a snack while I'm talking to them is because it because then I'm cool, but it keeps them busy. <laughs> and the other thing is, I don't know if they had any food that day. And then once we're done, then we'll go out on it, maybe respect. I mean, I can't, I've spoken to so many, and I do the life skills myself. Um, of course, we have um, during the weekend and other days, we have um, other people coming in, and you don't have to be an expert. You know, the USTA provides us a wonderful curriculum that we work with. And then we go out there on the court and we use that life skill that we had that day, whether it's teamwork, perseverance, whatever it is.
0: It's amazing. and so rewarding as well. Mm. Isla, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to quickly pivot just for fun and just ask you some this or that questions just to take you back to your days of playing. Uh, So which player would you rather rally with? uh, Federer or Nadal?
1: Federer. (laughs) <laughs> Djokovic or Murray? I'm friends with Murray, so I think he'd be nice to me. Murray. <laughs> Sharapova or Serena? I love Serena, so Serena. Pass or yeah. <laughs> Back
0: Zverev. McEnroe or Connors?
1: I don't like a lefty, but I'm going to pick. Um, they're both lefty, so I'll go with Connors. <laughs> Who did you choose? With Connors. Okay. Sampras Agassiz. Agassi? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm going to go with Agassi because I want to get to Steffi. (laughs) (laughs) Billie Jean King or Everett? I love them both. I'm going to say Billie Jean. She's my mentor. Uh, Golf or Osaka? Oh, Osaka because she's cool. Mm -hmm. Keys or Stevens? Flo and Stevens. She was on my Fed Cup team. Oh, And Bob Bryan or Mike Bryan? Oh, I love them both, but I'm going to say Bob. Bob is... (laughs) <laughs> um, thank
0: you so much Giselle. keep doing the amazing work you're an inspiration to all of us
1: thank you everybody you can do it it forward have a lovely day